Hey everybody, how you doing? I hope everybody is well. You've been putting your emojis in. There's people from all over. It's great, it's great. Um, well, I, I've got a kind of a, a little bit of a mixed bag for you today. I'm gonna talk about some, some strategy and practical stuff for the first half, which is really for Revive Church. Um, and then, of course, it's the launch of Encounter Week today as well. We've got Encounter Week going all week. There's going to be something every morning, something every evening, all connected to prayer and encounter and hearing God's voice and moving forward as a church. I think kind of leaving lockdown. Oh, do you, th do you think it is? I really think it is. And I, it doesn't mean that there won't be unpredictable things that happen over the next few months. But if you remember, Sharon Stone prophesied that the first half of the year was going to be still a bit of trouble and unpredictability. Um, but the second half, half will move from trouble to triumph. And I'm just praying that that really is true, that we get to crown this year with some special stuff from God. So the first half, I'm going to do some practical bits and pieces. But then the second half is going to be something that's much more relatable to all of us as individuals. So, um, you know, wherever you're coming from, you should receive something from God today and it'll minister to you, I hope. Uh, well, last time I sat and chatted for, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes on Revive and our blueprint and where we're going, I talked about two key things and I just want to revisit those for a minute and then add some, some practical thoughts to each one. The, the two things I said that as we leave lockdown, we want to become more of, and so this is, a, this is an adjustment, but it does go quite deep. It affects our structure ultimately and everything and where we're focusing our time and our staff and our attention. The first thing I said is we want to much more become, one of the phrases I used was an epicenter of glory, a place where God's presence is moving more than ever. So things like prayer rooms and perhaps 24-7 prayer and certainly time to encounter God is coming much more to the fore because of that. Now, I read a great prophetic word and um, at the end of today's message, Lucy is going to email uh, the Revive members some thoughts about things I'm saying today and some questions for kind of journaling this week, which will come out in the second half of what I'm going to say uh, just now. But also this prophetic word from Lana Vorster, which came out. Now, I won't read it all because it's quite long. But in the second half, she drills down into something that she believes is going on in the earth. And it kind of relates to that first thing I said last time, which is we want to become more of an epicenter of glory, a place where God's presence is being released. And she says this in the second half of the prophetic word. And you're going to get this after the service. Um, uh, we'll put it on Facebook, uh, but also email it to all, all the church members. And the headline part of this, this part of the word is houses and wells of my glory, she says. I began to see houses and wells being pioneered all across the earth. It reminded me of the encounter I had had with the Lord recently where I saw the arcs the Lord was establishing through the pioneers of his glory to come and rest. Remember the ark of his presence, that is. As I looked, these houses... As I looked at these houses and wells, the Lord spoke, listen to this, pioneers, that's you and me, that's the kind of church revive is, right? Pray and fast, that's what we're going to do this week in Encounter Week, lean in and listen, for you are being positioned to, get this phrase, house wells of my glory. 
I mean, that's exactly what I sense God is calling us to do. Won't be every church in all the same ways, uh, but many churches, many groups and ministries and families will begin to invest in digging a well of glory, or you could say opening a gate of glory. These are pictures, right, to help us grasp what's going on. Find a way to, I would put it in my language, because I used to be the lock gatekeeper in Hull, open the lock gates that the glory of God may begin to come in, right? And she writes here, the tangible presence of God was so thick in my office as he spoke those words, to house wells of my glory. Psalm 24 verse 79 began to resound loudly in my spirit. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who's the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates, and lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The glory of God that was coming was like nothing that had been seen or experienced before. And the Lord was refreshing these pioneering ones. Anybody need refreshing? <laughs> Jesus, I do, right? Refreshing these pioneering ones to house his glory and a mighty move of his spirit. And I believe that's what we've got to dig into, revive, as we move forward. We must go deeper than ever before in creating this epicenter of glory. Then the second thing I said was, and it kind of is the balance uh, of, well, how can we give focus to that, but also reach more people and influence more people, is we wanted to create a less bureaucratic mobilization strategy. We want people to be released from Revive to do incredible ministry really easily. We don't want to become a mega church building a bigger and bigger pyramid as we get bigger. No, um, <laughs> pyramids come from Egypt. <laughs> We don't want to build bigger and bigger pyramids. When Jesus released his disciples, it was more like a web. It was more like spokes going out across the world, carrying the gospel along those straight Roman roads out into the world. And that's what we want to be. We want to be a family of ministries releasing potent and powerful people to go and transform the world. So let me talk about those two things and add a couple of practical things to each of those today. Is that okay? So the first one, an epicenter of glory. Um, as many of you know, we've kind of reduced our staff size in this time with a sense that a big structural change was coming to the church. And so this means I'm working with a much smaller staff team. Doesn't mean that the hundreds of volunteers aren't are, are, are smaller than they used to be or that many of those that have gone back to volunteering aren't as precious as they've always been. They're still influencing, leading meetings, preaching, releasing their leadership. It was just a wonderfully healthy change and I'm really grateful for the maturity of all those that have, that have shifted from a paid role back to a volunteer role. In fact, most of them, the first thing out their mouths was, how soon can I start volunteering? Honestly, Revive, we have incredible people at the church. But this smaller team does have a, a practical uh, change to it in that the small core team at Revive is going to be focusing on prayer, building this epicenter of glory for, for adults and for youth and for kids. It's going to be focusing on some of the very basics of church life, like pastoral care and, um, uh, you know, some basic attractional evangelism and things like that and church services. Um, now, as this small team does that, something that I'm really aware that we've been on a long journey with is, is buildings and, and a place to call home. Uh, I've even said, I said this last time I spoke about this, Revive, we've been nomadic for, I think, seven, eight years, something like that. But we need a sanctuary where we don't have to exert so much 
technical energy just before we even started a meeting. We're using so much energy just getting places set up and taken down. We need a sanctuary, a place where we can meet God 24-7 and really dig a well of his presence in a community. So how are we going to get there? Well, here's where we're at at the moment. Okay, here's the journey. At the moment, we're online. Um, we weren't able to have our tribe-in service the, uh, our, our Easter Sunday, um, but here's what we're going to do. From Sunday, the 18th of April, in the morning, because we just noticed that evening slots and other slots really do affect uh, 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 the numbers of people that can come to things. There's all sorts of practicalities and even cultural realities of why that is. But we're going to begin to meet on a Sunday morning on the eight, from the 18th of April, uh, in Cottingham Civic Hall. And once we fill that up, because of course it'll be sec uh, COVID secure, social distancing and all that kind of thing. Once we've filled that up, we intend to, as long as we can find them and they're still as available as they were a little while ago, to open up other Sunday morning venues for a bit. Now this is a temporary move, okay? Um, what we will also do is every, I don't know, month or so, something like that, we're going to stick in a drive-in service. That's what we intend to do because they're a lot of fun, a bit more fun for all the family. You can sing a bit more outdoors and stuff like that and, and worship God. So it's going to be a mixture of Cottingham Civic Hall Sunday mornings and the occasional drive-in. And that's going to go on uh, for, for a couple of months, I would think. Very soon, you'll have information about booking because uh, you will need to book in so that we can just know what numbers are coming. That just helps us in the current climate. And also how we're going to accommodate youth and children, because it's still a little bit more fiddly than getting adults in. We, we want kids' work to be fun for them and, and to really be as meaningful as it can be. Is that OK? So Sunday the 18th of April, we're starting that. But then uh, let me talk more broadly about buildings and finding a home. And listen, I've got to be honest, I don't take all of you on every roller coaster ride regarding buildings that we go on. It's an absolute roller coaster, but I'm going to bring you on my roller coaster this morning. Is that okay? Because I think you need to know what we're doing so that you can understand that we're not sitting here twiddling our thumbs, uh, wondering what to do. There's lots going on in the background. As far as finding uh, even a temporary place for us to call home, it's been quite a journey lately. I have uh, investigated a couple of dozen buildings, even in the last uh, probably two and a half, three months, I viewed nine buildings. Um, now, I don't let you know this. We don't let you know this every time because it's such an up and down, but we've even put offers in to rent or buy several buildings uh, in the last few months. And some, even the offers were accepted, but it wouldn't go through planning. We weren't able to, to move things forward. So in the background, I mean, I am driving around uh, places all the time and we, we're on this because I really feel we need to push through. If I'm honest, the slow pace of the new build project, it's been kind of moving like a tortoise with a broken leg, right? It's hard. And then under COVID, it got even smaller, uh, even slower. So it's been a very, very tough journey in the background. I've got some meetings in the next couple of weeks that hopefully should, should get us more information. And I will come back to you about the new building project much more in the next few weeks with some details about where we're at. Um, but then... Where are we at even as a, as a temporary measure? Uh, because I really feel that being nomadic is, to be blunt, beginning to harm our culture in such a way that it's very hard to operate. Can I be blunt with you? I'd rather be a real leader than a fake one. I found the last 
period extremely tiring and the whole building journey extremely distracting. I don't know about you, because buildings aren't really my thing. I want to get on with enjoying the presence of God, helping people encounter God, seeing people saved and impacting a region for the kingdom of God. I do not want to expend too much energy on buildings. So I'm aware that for me and for you, because I can see the numbers of people getting saved or let's say not getting saved at time because we're spending so much time on trying to sort out buildings. Um, I am praying that God fast tracks us through to something. Um, but we have something happening uh, at the moment that I pray will give us a temporary home for maybe one or two years. And I mean a 24-7 home where we can settle and not set up and take down every week. And so uh, at the moment where this stands is that we have uh, put an offer in on a space in, in Hull City Centre, a good large space that would be an ideal home for us. Now, work with me. Um, the, the offer's been accepted, but we're still working on the terms around that, so there's still some work there. And then, of course, remember, we're a church, so we have to go through change of use, so it's a whole kind of planning thing. So we're working through some things, but my hope is... And my prayer, and I'm bringing it to you at the start of Encounter Week because I want you to pray with me because this really does affect our culture. Um, uh, pray that we will be able to land this summer, it, this space I, that, that we're talking about. I won't give you the, the details of it yet. Let's get a, a step further. But there is a place and uh, hopefully we will be able to get in there this summer and have a very decent place that we can call home for maybe one or two years while we sort out the other more long-term building things. So we need to pray that we're able to work through this and that we're able to come through the planning stage. Is that okay? Because we need to settle so that we can dig this well of glory and then begin to mobilize people to transform the city. So pray for that with us. Is that okay? Stand with us. And um, that's where we intend to be. So Cottingham Civic Hall and maybe a couple of other venues for, for a couple of months with drive-in services. But by the height of summer, I'm really praying that we get into somewhere that we can at least call a temporary home where everyone can gather and that we can begin to encounter God together and use it as a base to launch out into the rest of the city and the region. That's where we're at, okay? Now, while we're doing all of that, the 11 o'clock online services, they might change a little bit, but they'll continue. There'll always be something online. I want to encourage you, like Andrew did, so brilliantly last week. I thought it was outstanding. I want to encourage you, be as brave as you can be, totally understand if you, if you, if you are vulnerable that you've got to just find the right pace for you and all that kind of thing. But be as brave as you can be as we come into this next season so that we can all, every one of us, myself included, trust me, work through the psychological impact of the last year, not being together. Um, uh, isn't it funny how we're not together that much and yet you can feel great social weariness as well as feeling great loneliness. And so it's really going to take some bravery to get back to enjoying the grace that we find in each other relationally and the power and the grace that we find in gathering as a church. But we will get there and Sunday services will continue online and hopefully as we settle in a more um, uh, uh, a place that we can broadcast from. We'll also be broadcasting those live too as time goes on. And I think things like Prayer Storm are going to continue too. But some other things like the Sunday night Zoom service and my encounter nights on a Wednesday night, they're kind of wrapping up over the next seven days uh, because we really feel we are shifting to an in-person 
phase, okay? Now, we get this, this space in Hull, we'll be able to get back to uh, um, some, what you might call attractional evangelism, some concerts and things to bring people to, and to, to teach and to impact people, and place to meet God and encounter and do conferences and uh, half nights of prayer and seek his face together. All those things I'm praying will be starting up this summer. So pray with me as we push through from the trouble of the first six months of uh, 2021 into the triumph of the second six months. Is that okay? And let's push forward and trust God. I will bring you more about the long-term journey when I've had a few more meetings in the next few weeks. And uh, let's see where we can get with God. I think that's the, the stuff regarding uh, meetings, digging into God, uh, uh, to create and dig that well of, of his glory and his presence and how we're going to meet, okay? So, um, but the second thing I talked about was a, a kind of, we want to create a low, a, a low bureaucracy mobilization strategy. And again, we're going to be unveiling this in the next few weeks. How can we release more and more people? Now, listen, I want you to understand, Revive is an unusual church. It is not one mega church trying to be big and influential. We really are a family of ministries and we always have been. And the many ministries that are part of the Revive family literally impact thousands of lives across the world every single week. If you look at the work of, of Oasis, formerly called Columbia Childcare UK, I think I'm right in saying it is now called Oasis, which is the name it always had in Columbia. They just aligned them a little bit more. If you think about what they're doing there, Heart for Justice, the work of Leonie Webster in transforming um, culture in nations. Uh, CMA, the debt counselling, eternal benefits, transforming the quadrants. Haven't you loved um, Andy White has been doing the little like five to ten minute uh, broadcast about CMA, eternal benefits and new life support in Ghoul and all the incredible work. That, aren't, aren't they really, really good little reports? I think they're the best things that I've seen. Thanks for doing that, Andy. Really, really good. But it gives you uh, a window into the world of some of the things that our family of ministries are doing. Generation Builders, G Choir, Tribe. G Choir have got a song out this weekend. I think we might be using it soon. It's really, really cool. Well done, Helen, and all of G Choir. I love it. So listen, those ministries and others, I'm sure I'm, I'm going to have left something out. I nearly always do. Sorry, anybody. But those ministries, as well as the core ministries of Revive, are transforming lives all the time. And what we want to do is create a strategy that encourages that even more and releases us to transform the world. We don't want to become some heavy bureaucratic organization. We totally want to be the adventurers that Jesus, I believe, designed the church to be. It's not meant to be top heavy. It's meant to be super releasing, super adventurous, super heading out into all the things that we do in the world. I mean, a lot of what we do is an even form of ministry. Those that you, those of you that have got into political influence and those of you that are influencing education and medicine and business and finance, it's incredible what you're doing. And all of that, as far as I'm concerned, is 
revive. My job is not to build department after department. My job is to release you. God doesn't look and go, oh, I love the charity number that Revive has. No, he looks at us and goes, I love that family and I want to release you. So everybody, we're going to be releasing our mobilization strategy in the next few weeks and it will enable you to know how you can be released into your ministry more and more and how we want to cheer you on, encourage you, pray for you, anoint you, release you, promote you and see you shift and do all the things that you're called to do for God. That's the kind of family we want to be. Okay, so we're going to be giving you more of that very, very soon. I suppose a couple of lines on the other locations. I'm talking a lot about Hull, aren't I? But as we went into lockdown, we were eight locations and uh, I've only spoken about the one in Hull. The reality of the other seven is that something very different, if I'm honest, will be happening with each of them. So as we come out of this period of leaving lockdown and heading into whatever normal is going to be, uh, don't simply expect things to click back to what they were. There's a lot that's gone on in the background. Some of the most obvious ones are things like like the wonderful Jonathan and Lamia of, were leading Cottingham and have head off to lead, headed off under lockdown to go lead another church. And, and, and Lamia is even off in university and doing exciting stuff like that. They've really turned a corner with God. But it means that things like Cottingham is really, really being reviewed. And so... The seven locations other than Hull, I would say, you're going to find that some of them will go back to what they were doing. Others are going to have major readjustment before they come back and we'll be working with the location leaders to decide what to do in this next in the next few weeks. And then some simply won't return in the way that they were at all. And so we're just praying about what to do with each one. OK, so hopefully that news will start to come out over the next, I would think, four to six weeks. We can begin to go, OK, this is what's happening with each but they'll all be I think something very very different because some of them are things like eternal benefits and boy are they doing an incredible job in transforming the quadrant and beyond and so um, it's really exciting to see what's going to happen so expect change okay uh, in those areas too and we'll be bringing you news very soon okay so epicenter of glory we need a venue here's how we're going to start Cottingham Civic Hall here's how we intend to go on it's my hope and you're coming on the roller coaster with me now trust me I've been through all sorts of offers and viewings and try to shift into different spaces and I, the ups and the downs of it are exhausting so I don't bring that to you every time but I'm pulling you on this one with me why because I need your prayers and I need you to know that lots is going on in the background uh, why sometimes I look a bit ragged and exhausted from this journey and why we really need to get into a home so let's work together to give ourselves a space to pray and meet God right which is talked about so often in the Bible now after I finished this morning, that's the first half. There's the practicals done. Um, Lucy will send you uh, some kind of headline prayer points based around the things that I've said to pray into this week. And let's really pray that we can shift forward in God. In fact, should we do that now? Should we punctuate the middle of my three-hour sermon? <laughs> should, we, should we punctuate it with a prayer? Come on, pray with me, everybody. Just wherever you are, if you can. It's Palm Sunday. Lift your palms up. <laughs> 
right? Okay, which when they said uh, uh, Hosanna, it literally meant save us, right? And that's what we need. We need God to come and help us with these things. So let's pray. Father, I ask that you will enable us to get a place where we can dig a well of your glory, where we can meet you 24-7, where we can establish a sense of your authority in the heavenlies over this region, a place where the city and the region can encounter you and hear your gospel. Father God, we pray. Just let your blessing be over uh, the practicals going on in the background regarding this. In Jesus' name, anoint all those negotiating. Anoint the directors as we, as we get the terms established, Father God, and help us to move forward, we pray in you, in Jesus' name. And then the second area, this mobilization strategy. Heavenly Father, I, I know that there are ministries sat in, lots of the people watching either now live or on demand this week. There are ministries and ideas and hopes and dreams and anointings from heaven. Father, activate them. Pour your blessing on all the established ministries in the family of ministries that is revived. Father, pour your anointing so that we can shift out of lockdown as a mobilized army in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Okay, here's my second bit. Well, right, give it a little wipe and, uh, and let's uh, head into the second half of the word. Now, this one really is for Encounter Week. Like I say, something's been going to be going on morning and evening through this week of Encounter Week. Let's fast, pray, lean into God, because I believe we're shifting out of lockdown. In fact, remember early on, uh, oh, it is a year ago, isn't it, that we had our first online services under lockdown. Well, I believe we are shifting towards coming out of lockdown, but in that early phase, I think it was our last staff prayer meeting that we had before lockdown in this little building that I'm in now. And God showed me a vision of a pit stop and a vehicle coming in and an old wheel taken off and a new Formula One tire put on. And I, I sense God say, there's a pause coming, a pit stop, but it's gonna lead to greater acceleration. I believe if we've done this season right in the last year, we are going to accelerate increasingly out of lockdown into a fresh sense of God's purposes. We need to have our new tires on and be ready to shift, right? So what I wanna share with you today is a few thoughts for you and your destiny for Encounter Week, because really this, this might be the last bit of time that we get to go, right, that was my last really big piece of pit stop time before we headed out of lockdown. Let's make sure as we leave the pit stop, we're heading in the right direction. Okay, so I want to take you back to the early part of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 11. Let me say some shocking things for a minute. Are you ready? Um, Genesis 1 to 11 are written a little differently. It kind of, to, to Genesis 12 and onwards, they're written as kind of, they, they would have been major oral tradition stories that were told generation to generation through. And here's the radical thing that I'm gonna say, is they might not be written as literal history. They might actually be archetypal stories that tell us something about the world. Now, they might well be literal. I've got no problem with that whatsoever, but they are written in a different way than from Genesis 12 onwards. They are, you get two versions of creation, for instance, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And um, they, they kind of have, have a different kind of way that they're put together. And here's what, I, what matters to me out of that. 
I really, you know, someone would be horrified that, I, that I've said they may not be literal. Remember when Jesus came? He came telling stories. <laughs> when God came in the flesh, he came telling stories, parables. In fact, uh, it tells us that Jesus did nothing. He spoke nothing without a story added to it. God is a storyteller. It's how he communicates his truth. And so there may be some reality, as some theologians think, that these first 11 chapters are mainly huge worldview perspective stories that help us to understand how God sees the world and therefore how we should see the world. And as we leave lockdown, I want you to see the world as God sees the world, okay? Now, it's really important. I'm gonna be sending you questions after this message to enable you to journal and think, am I seeing my life in the same way that God sees it? And how can I make sure that I'm absolutely hitting true north with my purpose in God? And I want to go through several of the stories just for a few minutes, as quickly as I can. And if you're wondering, what shall I read from the Bible this week? Well, there you go, Genesis 1 to 11. Just read them all and meditate on them and think about what I've said, because there are massive truths in them, much more than trying to dig out historical fact. Bible isn't always written like that. Some of it's poetry, some of it's prophecy, some of it is history and factual. Some of it is archetypal stories that are giving us a sense of here's something that God wants to say to you to transform how you think. And so let's look at some of those stories. Genesis 1, of course, you've got the reality that God is creator. It's really simple. Understand this, you are not trying to fulfill your dream. That's a real low level way to approach life. You have a creator. And if you read the Passion Version of the Bible, I love to read it. I don't really think it's a translation. I think it's a paraphrase. But what I love the most about the Passion Translation, as it's called, is the notes, all the study notes. And when the Passion takes on John chapter 1, I think in the NIV it uses the phrase, in him was life, talking of Jesus and God. In him was life. But the Passion study notes kind of rip it open a bit more. And it says this, it says, in him, in God, were many many lives. Wow, think of that. So in the beginning, which is the context of John 1 and Genesis 1, in God, there were many lives. Do you know Ephesians says things like, he, he chose you before the foundation of the world. He knew you before the foundation of the world. Think about that. Your creator knew you before Genesis 1.1. And he has given birth to you because in him were many lives. And so it, it says, Psalm 139, that all my days were written before any of them came to be. God wrote a book before Genesis 1-1 and included in that book is the chapters of your life. And so at the very beginning of all things, he gave birth to you. So here's the question you need to answer is, why did God give birth to me? Why am I here on the earth? Why has he given birth to me, those of you that read my books? Why has he given birth to me at a 500-year pivot point in the world history? You are alive in an extraordinary time and you have a purpose from God. He knew you. Romans says it too. He foreknew you. Life is not about self-actualization. It's about realizing that God is your creator. So the first big question this week is, why was I born? Why am I here? 
I want to come out of lockdown knowing my identity before God. Not grasping for identity, all insecure and striving, but instead knowing my God-given identity. And you know that God-given identity, I believe, isn't just to last you whatever, 80, 100, 120 years on earth. That God-given identity is going to go on for eternity. Who are you? Stop grasping and start resting in who you were made to be. That's what Genesis 1 teaches us. It's a huge archetypal, um, typical, that means, reality of how God sees the world. I made you. And Ephesians 2 says, you're my work of art. The second big thing, and you find it in Genesis 2, is you get the story of Adam and Eve, Eve coming along. And it's about team, isn't it? That God looked at the world and he made things and he said, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. And then he looked at man alone and said, that's not good. And, and you know, as I always say, <laughs> everybody knows that man on his own is not good. There's always just too many piles of socks left at the end of the bed, right? Man needs team. And uh, I was reading one, one of my study Bibles the other day, and it talked about the fact that what Genesis 2 tells us happens is that Adam was put to sleep because no suitable helper was found. Can you believe it? That God actually paraded animals in front of him just to see if the helper he needed could be found that way. Uh, no, it couldn't be found that way. Grasp this. Then what it says is most of us read it as Adam was put to sleep and God took a rib and made woman. Actually, this study Bible told me this. It said it's not just that God took a rib. It literally, the word rib there means side. So in other words, God split Adam into two sides and made team. Just one perspective wasn't enough. Think about how we need to be in team. You know, you've got the, you've got the, um, you've got the cautious one in, in every, let's do marriage for a minute, but this isn't just about marriage. You've got the cautious one and then you've got the impulsive one, right? In every marriage, you've got the introvert and the extrovert. Often we marry the opposite. Have you found that? We marry the side that we're missing. Your dream needs another side. It needs someone to compliment you and bring in the rest of God's blessing. And here's the reality that I want you to think about today. Anyone won't do. Think about your tribe of friends, the church you belong to, the people you're doing ministry with. You are supposed to, and this might change through life, not with marriage, but it might, it, it, well, not ideally, but, you know, it might, it might, it will change in relation to church and ministry and the groups that you work with at different times. Um, any old helper wouldn't do, a hippo wouldn't do, a giraffe wouldn't do. God brought Eve who had the other side of what Adam needed. You need team and you need the team that God brings you. Here's a thought as we leave the pit stop, as we leave lockdown. Here's a, here's a good thought for you. Are you connected to the right people for your next season? Some of us cling on to old relationships because they're safe relationships. And it's really, really good to have long-term friendships. It probably shows that you are emotionally healthy to have those, right? But we also need to be very aware when God is bringing someone to you and saying, this is a side that you need. Who's your team for the future? 
Are you stuck in the old or are you ready for the new? Do some relationships need to be pruned or maybe diminished a little bit? Or maybe, let's be blunt, cut off completely, even if you never ever use those words. You just know that person is no longer doing me any good. I need to shift forward. But who do you need to invest in? I've been aware. You know, in church life, you get to know hundreds of people. And, and the reality is you can just be overwhelmed by the sheer amount of people. And people like me, because I do know lots of people. I even stand up and preach in front of thousands of people a year. Uh, I live with a measure of social guilt because I simply don't have the time to relate to everybody uh, in the way that I ideally would because I'm a bit of a perfectionist. But then God came to me the other day and said, yes, yes, there's, there's loads of people. It can be a little bit overwhelming. But have you noticed the people that I have put my hand on and that you have noticed there's something about that person I need to get to know. There's something about that person for the future. And essentially he said to me, Jared, because you get a bit overwhelmed by the, by the 500 potential friendships, you can actually miss the eight that I've sent your way and you need to invest in. Is your relationships, are your relationships set properly as you come out of lockdown? Are you with your people. Any old hippo won't do. Are you with your people? Fine team, okay? So pray for your relationships as we head out of lockdown. There are some people that you need to go on adventure with to go transform medicine or government and politics or education. And you need to start teaming up with the people who are called to do what you're called to do. And you're going to find immense strength comes from it. So that's Genesis 2, team. Go read it. You'll find more in it this week. Trust me, I could do a three-month series on this. I've been meditating on this so much lately. But let's quickly do Genesis 3. Um, Genesis 3, you find Adam and Eve in the garden. God puts them in a garden. Listen to this phrase. God has given you a garden of responsibility. And here's my question for you out of this. Are you cultivating your garden of responsibility properly? God puts you in a paradise. Do you know the word paradise literally means walled garden? Your paradise, use it as a picture, right? Your paradise is beautiful. Uh, was it the psalmist that said, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Surely you've given me a pleasant uh, uh, and beautiful inheritance. But also there are boundaries to it. Okay, so your destiny has beauty, it's a paradise, but it has limits. Admitting our limits that though we are godly and blessed by God, we are not God. Life has limits, right? We have limits to what we can and can't do. We're limited even by time. God has given you a garden, and I wanna ask you, do you know the garden of grace that God has put you in? Um, there are there, there are trees in that garden for you to cultivate. I actually took a pen and paper, you know, kind of A4 size, this sort of size, and I drew the boundaries of my garden of destiny. And then I, begin, I began to draw trees in the garden that I should cultivate. Nations he's told me to invest in and to cultivate. Gifts he's given me, um, even in this last year, you'll have seen after... I, I've been in ministry 30 years. I spent the first 15 doing worship ministry and music around the world. I spent the last 15 leading Revive and doing uh, much more administrative and, administrative and pastoral ministry. But under lockdown, I felt God say, I, I put a tree in your garden of worship and music. Uh, you've been ignoring it for a while. Begin to cultivate it. Prune it. Feed it. 
love it, right? What are the trees that are in your garden of destiny? They might be trees that are about certain relationships or certain nations or certain mountains of influence that we've talked about lately, like, like finance and government or medicine and education, arts, media. What are your trees that are in your garden? Why not, this week in Encounter Week, draw a picture of the boundaries of your garden and the trees that are in it that you should cultivate? You know what? That garden would look like no one else's garden on planet Earth. It's your garden to cultivate. Are you cultivating the things you should do? Or listen to this. Are you looking over the wall and trespassing into other people's gardens? You know, when Jesus teaches us to pray, it's forgive us our trespasses. Isn't it a funny word? Do you know when you stray into someone else's destiny and go, this looks nice, I'd rather be doing this, you're actually sinning. You need to know your purpose, what trees are in your garden, and you need to cultivate the relationships, the gifts, the places, the mountains of influence. Your children, they're trees in your garden that you are to cultivate. Your church, if you're called to revive, it should be a tree in your garden. Then the question will be, so are you looking after that tree? And let's be honest, sometimes trees need pruning or even digging out altogether. A lot of times they need feeding, watering, and catch this, just enjoying just looking at a tree, leaning up against it on a sunny day and say, thank you, God, for this gift, this friendship, this place. Thank you for my paradise, the walled garden you've put me in. But think about this, too. In your garden, there's a tree of life. There are things that bring you life. Now, there are some general things that bring us all life, right, that are good for all of us. You know, everyone's going to find that when we open the Bible and meditate on a verse, it brings us all life. But, you know, think about your uniqueness. There are things that bring you life. And if you want to live well, you'll know what they are. If you're introverted or extroverted, there's different fruit on that tree. OK, it, relationships will bless you in different ways, depending on your personality. And of course, we know it's not as dualistic as, well, I'm either introverted or extroverted, too. That life's full of this beautiful complexity. Have you worked out yet what brings you life? You need it for destiny. Right. But you also read as you read through Genesis three this week that there's a tree in the garden that you shouldn't touch. You know, listen, God will leave in every destiny something that you must not touch. I'm convinced of it. It's in the in the story. It's the tree of good of the knowledge of good and evil. And they eat it and they die. Adam and Eve in the garden was supposed to be naively trusting just trusting God with their destiny. What are the trees in your garden that are going to actually bring death to you, not life? The things that you go, I can't touch. Now, I know over the years I'm running out of time, so I don't have, have, have long to go through all these. But there are things in my life that, has God, that God has told me, right, there's people that are going to look like you and it seems they're doing similar things to you. But Jared, you can't do this, this or this. I don't want you to touch it. I want you to trust me with that. What is the tree of the knowledge of evil in your garden that shifts you from naively trusting God into striving and self-help and fear? Know the trees in your garden. What should you cultivate? What brings you life? What 
brings death to you. Okay, know your garden. I want to encourage you this week, draw a garden of your purpose. Even work out what the boundaries are. I am not allowed to go and do that, and I'm not allowed to go and do that. Do you know what that brings? It doesn't bring limitation. The walls put there by your loving Heavenly Father actually bring you freedom. What I see when I realise I don't have to do what that church does or that minister does or that ministry does, it makes me go, oh, I can relax in the paradise God's given me. And you know what? God walks in the cool of the day through the garden of your destiny. If you're in next door's garden, you're going to miss him. <laughs> right? You need to be within the walls of your own destiny. What's your destiny? And then let me just finish with these couple of points. And really, they're from Genesis 4 and 11. Cain and Abel and the Tower of Babel. I don't have time to do any more. I could go on for weeks with this stuff. But let me just do these, because very, very quickly, there are some things that they're first mentioned in the Bible. They're right there in the big early stories, as if God is saying, these are the things that are most likely to ruin your garden. So let's do them real quick. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. If you know the story of Cain and Abel, you can go read it this week. Envy and comparison are going to ruin your garden. Cain ended up, listen to this phrase, a restless wanderer because he compared his favour with another's. Don't look across the wall and trespass into another garden. Be jealous. Be compared. Nothing will steal your joy than comparing your destiny, your garden, your paradise to someone else's. Be grateful for who you are, what he's given you. This week, I wrote up all the blessings of my life right through, even back through the generations before me that I know about in my own family history. And I said, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And you know what? I went from a place of being a bit grumpy and ungrateful to a place of, look what the Lord has done for me. I am so blessed. It's not the biggest garden in the world. It's not the smartest garden in the world, but it's the garden he's given me. And God bellows from heaven, so cultivate the garden I gave you. Often we abandon the trees in our own garden, trespassing off into someone else's destiny to go, well, I'd like to have that house. I'd like to have that car. I'd like to have that relationship. I'd like to have that influence. No, it will destroy your destiny. Envy and comparison are some of the most common things that we pretend we don't suffer from. We do, even subliminally. Oh, I can't even say it. Subliminally. Help me, Chris. He's laughing at me from over there. <laughs> right? stuff that goes on inside of us. Know your garden, cultivate it and love it. You are blessed by God. And then finally, uh, Genesis 11, it would be uh, the story of Babel, the Tower of Babel. And it's the second most common thing that infects our thinking of how our destiny should be and how we should cultivate our gods. And of course, it's the story of them building a tower, trying to accumulate strength and look strong and be strong, to reach up to the heavens under our own human strength. Remember that God had said to them, fill the earth and subdue it. And instead they were clumping together in these great groups. Man does something with accumulating and human strength. Jesus said to his disciples, go into all the world, but they stayed uh, all together in Jerusalem instead. It's something right in human nature that we need to realize that we're very prone to empire. We're very prone to ego. 
We're very prone to trying to look strong and accumulate strength instead of letting God be our strength. You know, one of the trees that King David couldn't eat from in his garden was God said to him, don't, don't number, don't count the troops. I won't let you. And he got in trouble when he did. It was a tree of death to him. And there's something so in the hearts of so many where we go, if I, I am the sum of my, my wage or the, the numbers of my influence, even these days, silly things like my social media following, etc. We try to be significant through striving and empire and ego and human strength. And it ruins and infects our garden. But if we relax in the naive trust that God is in charge and he's going to help us, well, what we find is our garden can be an exquisite, luxurious place of peace. Hey, how's that for some thoughts, right? He's your creator. Meditate on that this week. You need team. Are your relationships where they should be? He has given you a garden of responsibility. Do you know it? Do you know its limits? Do you know its trees to cultivate? It's trees that bring you life and the tree that you shouldn't touch, the things that you personally can't do, even if the person next door can. And lastly, the most common things that ruin the garden of our destiny, envy and comparison, empire, ego and striving. Let's sit back into the reality that he's a good, good father and that he has always been faithful and he always will be faithful.